You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for some scalding hot takes? Talking Vikings. With Dane Misutani and Chase Frederick, this is Inside Purple and Gold. Hey, welcome to Inside Purple and Gold. Chase Frederick, Dane Mizutani here on Odyssey's new Vikings podcast. The roster's set, Dane. Um, for the most part, there obviously could be a few moves here and there, but the 53 is set. Quasi Adolfo Mensa has done some tinkering in terms of trades that we will talk about, uh, but everything looks pretty much systems go now as we sit. Here on Thursday, September 1st, roughly 10 days out from the season opener against Green Bay. What stood out to you most um, from setting this roster and then maybe even some of the the trades that caught us a little bit off guard? Yes, I think the trades, and we'll get to that, uh, were definitely the biggest takeaway from yesterday, um, from Wednesday. Most of the roster itself, I feel like when we were talking about trying to piece together the 53, we were able to kind of deduced who was going to make it who was going to get cut i think some people might be surprised that they cut both sean Mannion and kellen mon on tuesday but like deep down i think when they traded for nick mullins that was always a reality some things that surprised me yesterday uh independent of the vikings kellen mon got claimed by the right. cleveland browns neither I, player will end up in minnesota mon nor Mannion. Right, and man got claimed by, or he's going to sign with the Seahawks, the Seattle practice, Seahawks squad. practice squad. So there's a familiarity there with Mannion. That's not that surprising because he was the the practice squad quarterback last year before coming back to Minnesota. With Mond, I was surprised that someone, frankly, paid for him and, and claimed him on waivers. Two teams. Two teams claimed Kellen Mond, which means two teams don't watch other teams play preseason football. <laughs> I mean, I, you can convince yourself, you can do the mental gymnastics that like this guy's going to be good, uh, but he's not. I can promise you, he's not going to. But maybe people in Philly would be saying the same thing about Jalen Rieger, who the Vikings <laughs> traded a fourth round pick for yesterday, the conditional fourth, and um, I believe it was a seventh too. Yep, it was the fourth a could be a, it could, the fourth is either going to be a fourth or fifth based on production, and then also a seventh. Yeah, a seventh that they got in in a minor trade with the Houston Texans back on Tuesday. So, uh, so I say all these things about Kellen Mannion or Ke- Kellen Mond, but I believe Philadelphia Eagles fans would say the same thing about Jalen Rieger, especially his punt returning. <laughs> <laughs> so the Vikings make this deal on Wednesday, and the first thing that pops up in my head is I don't watch a ton of Eagles games, but I do know that Jalen Rieger punt returned for them. Um, and in my head, he I thought, a touchdown oh, is a rookie year. Sure. Yeah. You know, but like just generally somebody who's done it in the NFL. Um, so mm-hmm. I was like, well, okay, there you go. It's like the Nick Mullins, uh, 
thing. Uh, Quasi do Fomenso said, okay, here's a weakness. Let's address it. Um, and maybe it's maybe a fourth is a little much to give up for a punt returner, but okay. Like the, this team needed a punt returner, no question about it. Uh, so I went on Twitter and, and first fired off my first thought of, geez, what did it even say? I got it. I <laughs> word got for it. word. Go ahead. Jace fires off this tweet at, at 1.33 p.m. on Wednesday. Yep. It was probably a handful of minutes after the trade was actually announced by, by Schefter. Rieger trade means Vikings fans won't need to hold their breath every time the opponent punts. Yep. Okay. It, so at this point, we had already talked about what watching Amir Smith-Marset, like watching him field punts, what an adventure that was. Like you never knew what was going to happen if he was going to fumble. So it was like, I didn't care. Didn't look it up. Didn't even care if Jalen Rieger... Fair caught every single time. Didn't matter. I was like, well, it's somebody who's done it before. Somebody's going to catch the ball. And then the first response I get is from, I, I think, a Minnesota sports fan who's like, every comment from Eagles fans suggests the exact opposite. And I was like, oh, <laughs> let me go look up on Google and see like what Jalen Rieger has done from the punt return position. And immediately what comes up is his number of muffs, <laughs> his, <laughs> his lack of effectiveness, the fact that he was getting pulled from kick returning and punt returning duties in the middle of the season essentially what it looked like from a lack of confidence. And so I went back on Twitter and I was like, Oh, I don't know. I might scrub this one. By the time I got back there at one thirty-seven or something like three or four minutes later, the tweet had been grabbed like 10 times. Uh, Eagles fans found it quick. Uh, and they were all like, <laughs> that's amazing. Honestly, uh, it was, I like, yeah, I don't, I don't hardly have, you know, I certainly don't have any Philadelphia followers, uh, but, it, but they were on it. Uh, and it was all like, Jumping on it, like, what are you talking about? So at this point, I'm like, kind of looks cowardice to delete it. Um, so I decided, okay, let's just leave it up and let it ride. The one thing I did tweet was, after five minutes of research, this is categorically false. <laughs> Assumed Rager's experience <laughs> as a punt returner would be an upgrade. But it is not good experience. Um, <laughs> Shout out to you for owning it, man. Because right now, it's 8, 8, 8 a.m. on Thursday. We record yep. right in the 8 o'clock hour, always um, Central Time. The, the the initial tweet has 102 replies, 109 retweets. Out of the 109 of retweets, 92 are quote tweets. Which the quote tweets are just everyone dragging Jace. Yep. And 300 or uh, 613 likes. So it, it really blew up. And I don't think Jace has ever blown up from an Eagles tweet. So no, uh, I, I literally had a friend who works with an Eagles fan who brought up that tweet not knowing that this friend knew me uh yesterday it was like look at this um yeah so it spread it spread pretty fast and far but i will say like credit for eagles fans yeah there are some people who like call you dumb and whatnot most of them were just making fun of jalen rieger uh you know it was i frankly like spent like an hour on my phone doing absolutely nothing laughing at all of the replies to both the original and the the secondary tweet should probably let's read a few of these okay so a lot of them, like, I would say I got about 100 of, like, the Mr. Crowd from SpongeBob. And, and it was, like, the meme mm -hmm. of how do we tell him when SpongeBob's inside the building and Krabs is outside of it. Uh, got probably, like, 10 Oh Honey gifts from Marshall from How I Met Your Mother. Mm -hmm. uh, at least another 10 to 20 does he know memes from Batman with the Riddler. Um, other ones, like, individual responses I like. To the first one where I was, like, don't need to hold your breath. Um, at Aaron Ty 21 tweeted have a medic on standby uh, <laughs> philaticus <laughs> quote tweeted the first one the first tweet and said shot and then immediately quote tweets <laughs> the second tweet and said chaser <laughs> and then 
The very best one was from Ellsworth187. The only way to get him to run north and south with the football is if your stadium faces <laughs> east and west. <laughs> Twitter is is simultaneously the worst website of all time and the best because it, people are hilarious. It is man. so true. That one that one even got a like from PGA Tour Pro Cameron Percy, who's not like a big PGA Tour name, but I follow <laughs> golf enough to have noticed as soon as he t- uh, liked to tweet. It was they weren't even like Eagles fans saw this like sure they were dunking on me a little bit but it was like 95 percent just taking one last chance to dunk on Jalen Rieger before he went out the door like you could tell this is like the Eagles fans least favorite football player of all time like in Minnesota we've known him as the guy who went one pick before Justin Jefferson and there was the Mm -hmm. clip of Rick Spielman and like Zimmer like laughing celebrating because they knew they got Justin Jefferson and they seem to know um well we just got a significantly better player than Jalen Rieger because Apparently, that's one of the positions Rick Spielman could scout. Um, like, Eagles fans know him as, like, the bane of their existence for the last, you know, like, two years of football. And I guess we should probably take this time to analyze the move. They trade for Rieger. They cut Amir Smith-Marset. Amir Smith-Marset, I thought, was having a pretty nice camp as a receiver. Um, I understand mm-hmm. he wasn't going to be a good punt returning option. But so the Vikings seem to have sent what's going to be a fourth or fifth round pick to get an equally terrible punt returner and downgrade at receiver. Uh, because Jalen Rieger's receiving stats, like advanced numbers, yards per target, like it's all terrible. Uh, it it yeah. really is all awful. Um, and punt returning, he, I think he, his fumble numbers are awful. He muffed two punts. In the playoff game against Tampa last year, lost one in the second quarter, and Eagles fans were like, "Oh, that was his last punt return for Philly." No, no, no. They put him back out there in the fourth, and he muffed another one. Uh, did recover it, but he did muff another punt in that game. I'm having trouble seeing the upside here. Um, going with a guy who, yes, like yeah, had a higher draft <clears throat> capital, but I'm not sure how he's going to help this football team. This this feels like the classic like. Oh, this guy needs a change of scenery, so we're gonna give him the change of scenery. But oftentimes, when a guy fresh needs a change fallacy. of scenery, that's what I'm calling yeah. it. It's a fresh start fallacy. You need a change of scenery because you stink, and the change of scenery doesn't stop you from stinking. You just continue to stink in a new place. That's what the Vikings did here. I, 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 I don't know how you can. It's like Kellen Mond. I, I keep going back to that because, like, I don't know how you can, as a Vikings front office, watch what Jalen Rieger has done and say, you know what, we we should trade some draft capital for him because he hasn't done anything. And maybe he maybe he thrives next to Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and KJ Osborne. But you know, I think Amir Smith Marset would have thrived next to to those three as well. I think most competent receivers can thrive next to those three you traded draft capital like what's probably going to end up being a fourth round pick because you're going to play the guy a lot like they've they've hitched their wagon to Jalen Rieger like I'm I'm not saying they're gonna design the offense around him no he's the fourth wide receiver at best right but they went out and traded significant yeah fourth round draft picks in the NFL like they turn out all the time significant draft capital for a fourth receiver like it, it doesn't make sense to me. It was a move that happened. I was actually in the Vikings media room when when Schefter's tweet popped up, 
and there were a, a few of us in there and all of us at the same time literally laughed out loud and we weren't talking it was a silent room the, the tweet notification goes off and we all laugh <laughs> and everyone laughs we talk after that and we're laughing at the same thing obviously why did the vikings do that i don't know <laughs> like maybe it'll work out maybe it but i sh- I just don't see a world that it does. Like he's kind of proven what he is and he's not that good. It's when they first made the move, I was like, okay, I know that guy's a terrible wide receiver. Like I know that, but I just assumed that he was an adequate punt returner. And that's why they made the move. Once I was alerted to the fact that he was not, uh, that he, frankly, even when he catches the ball, is not good with it. Um, and I know he was good at this stuff in college, but we're two years into his pro career. This, like we had just made fun of Rick Spielman like last week for that Chris Herndon trade. This looks about as bad as that Chris Herndon trade. Feels I mean, like this, this is in the same class, I think. And you know what? At the time, you would have had to say, well, maybe Chris Herndon will help out this team. And he didn't. But we'll have to say, okay, maybe Jalen Rieger will help out this team. But I don't know. Um, I, I would heavily bet against it because, frankly, like this guy got beat out by Kez Watkins. Um, who is like an undrafted player or sixth round pick or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just easily got beat out. Like Philadelphia could not have phased him out any faster. Uh, yeah, this doesn't feel good. Let's talk about some of the other moves quick. Um, Armand Watts gets traded. Minnesota brings in, I mean, gets let go. Minnesota brings in another name. Do you talk about kind of, uh, the moves on the defensive front? Yeah. Yeah. So Armand Watts, that was a surprise cut for me on Tuesday. I actually did that was probably the most surprising of the cuts for me because he was the starting defensive end, defensive tackle, whatever you want to call his position in, in the three, four scheme. He was a starter. He was listed as a starter. He was running with the starters pretty much all of training camp. So for them to go out and and cut, cut him on Tuesday. And then on top of that, go trade for a guy named Ross Blacklock who from Houston. He's a young guy. I think it's another one of those kind of like Jalen Rieger, like he was a second round pick. Maybe we can, can squeeze more juice out of that orange. I don't know. Armand Watts was an effective guy who who you had homegrown and was looking like someone who could be a contributor. You save a couple dollars by, by cutting him and, and going with Ross Blacklock but I don't know why you wouldn't just keep the proven guy on, on your team. The guy that that's worked with the all camp, the guy that's grown in, in your system and the guy who frankly was a pretty good player like last year and, and, and we're going to be in an elevated role this year. Um, that was one that stood out. Uh, other moves on the defense. Like again, it, a lot of it was okay. We, we kind of assumed this was going to happen. The most notable keep or the guy who made the, the 53, Notably, Luigi Villain, he he's a undrafted guy. I think it's cool anytime an undrafted guy makes a team out of training camp. He he's an edge rusher. He brings a little bit of upside on in that position. He's also good on special teams. Those guys stood out most of all. Um, but but you know, the day was kind of run by by Jalen Rieger, the days that followed. Yeah, I just see Davis getting traded to Pittsburgh. Um I, it was kind of funny watching Steelers fans kind of flip out about that seeing how you know poor jesse davis is but that was for a seventh round pick that's that's another one of those there must be like a forum where nfl mm-hmm. gms are like hey it's almost like the transfer portal but it's like a going to be cut portal um and then other teams look on it and they're like anybody here we want to trade a sixth or seventh round pick for 
to make sure we're we just get cutting them. in line basically. because there are so many of those deals made mm-hmm. that I gotta think like they and they can't all be making phone calls. There's gotta be just like a, it's a it's a website, and then only the GMs have access to it or scout guys. Um, and they say, hey, it's actually, huge this guy, group text, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, they all have iPhones because if that's a green message, that would be a headache. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's all we have on rosters. This is a, supposed to be a defensive episode today, defensive preview. Jalen Rieger cut into it a little bit. But in this next segment, we will talk defense. We will talk, kind of preview it. And then in the final segment of the day, we will do our purple prop party, looking at um, some props for the defense heading into this season. Um, we will be back with that here in a bit. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. Jace, Frederick, Dane, Mizutani. Talking Vikings defense now. Uh, we previewed the offense in Tuesday's episode. Go ahead and check that out. Now, obviously, that might need an addendum because that didn't have Jalen Rieger in it. Uh, that's going to be a game changer. <laughs> but the defense kind of still stands. Um, and we're looking at what we expect out of this group that, frankly, was horrible a year ago. And as much as people want to talk about, you know, like Kirk Cousins and his ineffectiveness, um, the coaching, it, the the fact of the matter was this defense was horrific. Um, and that was kind of the reason that this team didn't stand a chance. Um, I don't there. It's tough to say like that. There is a whole lot that that's changed, Dane, right? Like it's the Darius Smith and who else? Like what makes you feel different? Darius Smith and scheme. What yeah. else stands out to you as like changes where you think this defense can improve? Nothing. Nothing stands out because it's it's really you're just changing up from a four three and a three four and that's a little overblown because they're going to be a nickel a lot of the time anyway yeah, like right. a lot of nfl teams just go nickel three corners all the time um but the three four scheme i guess the biggest change is like to dumb it down to the like most basic form is now daniel hunter is going to be rushing standing up rather than with his with his hand in the ground right. it sounds like ed Donatel the new defensive coordinator is going to move Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith around. They won't necessarily just be edge rushers. They'll be rushing from, from different parts of the defensive formation. But honestly, like a defense that was not, not just below average was, was literally bad last year. You didn't really make any changes except for bringing in Zadarius Smith, who if he's healthy is going to be awesome, but that's a big if considering his injury history. The fact that that's all you brought in, that's the only thing you addressed and you're hoping like, all right, let's just, we're going to be better. Like I know Daniel Hunter's coming back and and he is another basically, basically an addition because he, he missed 10 games last year. 
but it just kind of feels like running it back for the sake of running it back. And I'm not sure it's going to work. There, There's guys that are aging out. Patrick Peterson is not what he once was. Harrison Smith is not what he once was. Eric Kendricks, still a really good middle linebacker, but I, I think you could argue he's in the decline of his career. He wasn't very good last year. And and if you just look across the board on the defense, that that's the story. Like they brought in Jordan Hicks. That doesn't move the needle for me as a linebacker. He's fine. I have concerns about the defense. Um, I think there is an upside there because of the edge rushers. We've talked at length about that. But say those guys were to get hurt, say those guys were to fall off, Hunter and Smith, I think the defense could be in trouble this year. And and if that's the case, the Vikings are not going to be as good as they hope to be. Yeah, so this was the defense, just to remind everybody exactly how bad it was. Um, Gave up the third most yards in the NFL. Was... Gave up the eighth most points in the NFL at 25.1 points a game. So, like, a unit that really struggled. And more importantly, a unit that really struggled at all the worst times. Um, The end of games, if a team wanted to throw the ball to come back in a game, like, it could throw the ball. Game-winning drives, um, given up in the last five minutes of games or overtimes last year. At Cincinnati, the overtime drive after Dalvin Cook's fumble. At Arizona, uh, they gave up a score in the last five minutes. Now, obviously, we remember the missed kick from Minnesota at the buzzer. But... Arizona had to score in the last final five minutes to take the lead in that game. Uh, the infamous Cooper Rush drive where he led the team down the field for Dallas to beat Minnesota at U.S. Bank, um, at Baltimore in overtime, at Detroit, 75 yards from Jared Goff in two minutes, ending in the game-ending touchdown on the final play of the game to Amandra St. Brown. Those are just ones where they lost. Uh, there are still games that they won where the defense coughed it up. Um, the home game against Detroit, where Greg Joseph had to make a kick on the final play of the game after Minnesota gave up two touchdowns in succession. One of those was aided by a fumble, but um, still two touchdowns to an anemic offense, especially at that point in the season. At Carolina, Minnesota wins in overtime, but only after giving up 11 points in the final five minutes, including a 96-yard drive to Sam Darnold. Um, Green Bay at home, Minnesota wins on a late field goal, but, but prior to that last drive from Minnesota, uh, the Vikings gave up a nine-second touchdown, one play, 75 yards for Harry Rodgers to MVS. And then special mention, they didn't ever actually blow the lead, but Pittsburgh game, prime time, 29-0 lead in the late third quarter. Pittsburgh had a shot to tie the game on the final play of regulation, only to have Pat Fryermuth. Yes, he had a nice hit on him, but Fryermuth got the ball in his hands in the end zone and couldn't quite hang on. Like, this defense was atrocious when it mattered most. Um, I, I saw, like, Watching Hard Knocks with Detroit, I think it was like that second week or something. Dan Campbell talked about four-minute, two-minute. And I've always thought this and hearing another coach say it. He's like, that's where you actually determine games. That's where you. That's what separates who wins and who loses. And that's it. You can be pretty bad all game defensively, but this offense can keep up. It's can you get that last stop? And they never did last year. And that's why this team missed the playoffs, frankly, because, you know, it's not that hard to finish seventh in the NFC. Uh, but they got beat up by Philadelphia, probably an inferior team in general, because this defense coughed up so many leads. Um, and so this unit, they have to at least be better in that. Um, and, and I know we have talked about time and again, it's it's probably going to be the pass rush, but that's going to happen. Um, this team has been so bad up front for a couple of years now. Uh, last year, ESPN's pass rush win, win rate, 34%. 29th out of 32 teams. Run stop win rate, 27%. 31st out of 32 teams. Okay, one year. 2020, 30th in pass rush win rate, 
32nd in run stop win rate, dead last. Like it's it's one of the worst fronts in football. It has been. And now they're frankly, they're lucky that Zadarius Smith did not sign with Baltimore as everybody thought. Um, kind of a last second change there where he ends up in Minnesota. It, it, Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith are, we talk about them all the time. I think that's who we see as the only possible upside for this defense, just in that like 2019, I know this is a while ago, but you know, these two guys were one and two respectively in pressures in the NFL. And now you have them on the same front. So if you can get them to return to form, like right there, that's a, that's a significantly improved defense, but otherwise there are questions. And we talk about Smith being the only guy in, in scheme. And obviously they did use two early picks on, you know, Lewis seen who isn't expected to start, but is a contributor. Andrew Booth jr. Could easily be, you know, starting in that nickel spot. And that is an improvement as well. But um, it kind of feels like a cross your fingers thing for the Vikings here that defensively they're not going to be bottom of the league. It's not ideal, but you can at least chalk that up to to Daniel Hunter missed the last two seasons. If that's how you want to look at it, like you can be like, all right, well, means you weren't any Vikings, good up the middle either. But yeah, exactly. That's what I was getting at. But like you were not like you need to win up front too. You you don't just always win pass rush off the edge. Like you you can get a push up front. I, I will say we, we've kind of glossed over the Harrison Phillips signing. Like that sure. could yeah, end true. up being helpful. Like he was a he's a run stopper in Buffalo. And you can't read it too much in the preseason, but I think he played like five snaps and he had like two TFLs. So against probably backups. So we'll we'll reference that. But he's someone who could help but it, it again, is Harrison Phillips changing life up front? I don't think so. They were so bad against the run that they do need somebody to kind of take control of that. So I guess if you look at the addition of Harrison Phillips up the middle, Daniel Hunter and Darius Smith on the edge or wherever they're rushing from in the formation, you could convince themselves that they're going to be better, but like you're just betting on hope at that point, honestly. Like we don't know anything. We haven't seen anything to prove that they're going to be better. I know that generally doesn't happen to the regular season anyway, especially with how little the preseason is being used for evaluation purposes nowadays. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But with this Vikings defense, and really with the Vikings team as a whole, a lot of this season is being, well... Hopefully the, the coaching change works because we didn't change much. So that that's where you're at, like with this defense in particular, I think. Because I think the offense has the bones to be good. The defense, I'm, I'm not so sure. Like the starters are one thing. The depth is even more concerning for me, right? Yeah, right. We talked about that. Like It's non-existent. I mean, it's non-existent. I'm, I'm looking at the depth chart right now, and like Brian Asamoah had, had an awesome training camp. But I think everyone would agree, like if he's playing meaningful snaps this year, like if he's playing, if he has to step in and fill the void for an Eric Kendricks or a Jordan Hicks, there's going to be a significant drop off. And that's nothing against Brian Asamoah. He's probably going to be a pretty good player in the league. He looks like it, certainly with the way he flies around. 
but he's not ready to step into a starting role in the NFL. I think you can say that about pretty much all of these twos. Troy Dye, we, we've talked at length about his training camp and how it was really disappointing. Patrick Jones was a third-round pick last year for the Vikings coming off of the edge. We know nothing about him. He had a good training camp, but that's against your teammates. That's against he's 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 looked good sometimes in one-on-one drills against Garrett Bradbury. Like you know, like I, that doesn't do anything for me. Like do it for me in a game, and then we can talk about this actual depth. I guess in the secondary, like the rookies that you brought in, you you hope that that augments the depth. Because Lewisine, like you mentioned, and Andrew Booth Jr. will not be starting to start the year. Lewisine, because he's clearly not ready to be better than Cam Bynum. Andrew Booth Jr. maybe would have won that cornerback job, but he got hurt in training camp. He's still dealing with an ankle injury. Um, Those two guys might give you some sort of hope for down the road. But I keep saying hope because that's really all you're operating with with this defense right now. You're hoping they're better. There's no proof they're going to be. The one thing I think you can hold on to as a Vikings fan, and like, I don't want to downplay Daniel Hunter. Like, we talk about, yes, there's risk. Will he stay healthy? If he does, that is a massive difference. Like, even just last year, the Vikings as a team, 33.5% presser percentage when Daniel Hunter was on the field for sharp football. That's a really good number. Um, and frankly, as a team for the year, they dipped down to 26%. And that's factoring in when Hunter was on the field. So when he's off the field, you know, you're looking at a team that's like 21, 22% pressure percentage. So like, it's a huge difference. You're getting home, you know, at least one more time out of 10 when Daniel Hunter's on the field. And that can be the difference in a game. So like, if you have him, if you have Smith, like that instantly does make you significantly better in the pass rush. And we're not just assuming injuries. Like the reality is out of Hunter and Smith, one of them probably gets through the season um, pretty well unscathed. And if they both do, well, then that's a home run for you. Uh, The other units, like, you talked about Jordan Hicks. I don't want to downplay that. I really like Jordan Hicks as a player. Um, I think between Kendricks and Hicks, Minnesota's pretty well set at linebacker. Uh, Pro Football Focus ranked those linebackers, those two right there, as the fifth best linebacking core in the NFL. Um, and Kendricks wasn't quite as good last year. I think we all kind of saw that, the, the advanced numbers back it up a little bit. But still, like, there's no reason why he should be dipping off in, at this point in his career. I think he's still got a lot of good football left. It's the secondary where I have more questions, like Harrison Smith, 33, Patrick Peterson. 32 it's like okay is there a good football left there mm-hmm. um are we about to see drop-offs there can peterson hold up for over the course of the season can he be a guy who's shutting down the other team's best receiver still at this point in his career i'm not sure um and that's another reason why the pass rush comes into play because i'm not sold on this secondary um usually a reliance on rookies in the secondary doesn't always work out for nfl teams so it is something where like I see a ton of variance in this defense of like, here's where it could go good. And here's where it could go terrible. I could see them on both ends of the spectrum, but I think good still means like 13th or 14th best, like as it's ceiling. All right. Back with inside purple and gold, uh, Jace Frederick, Dame Zutani talking Minnesota Vikings defense. Uh, and we're going to wrap up today doing that with our purple prop party. Uh, we're going to look at the props. We did this for the offense on Tuesday's episode. Go back and listen to that. If you're interested, now we've got a ton of them on the defensive side of the ball. Now it's, I would say these are less predictive. Um, it's so much easier to mm-hmm. base numbers like, oh, how many receptions, yards, touchdowns is Justin Jefferson going to score? Like there are certain ones on here where it's like, okay, I think the number of sacks Daniel Hunter has can be an indicator for the type of season he had. But frankly, like how many pressures he had is is a good thing, and how many times he got home, or maybe like he ran somebody 
into a sack for somebody else. Right. Um, you know, like you can have a great play and not get a sack, frankly. And then like <laughs> there are other ones, interceptions, tackles, like you're just guessing. It's it's guessing, but we're gonna do it for fun anyway. Uh let's just start. Harrison Smith interceptions. The only Viking listed, these are all from the DraftKings Sportsbook. The only Viking listed four interceptions. Two and a half, Dane. Go ahead and take your absolutely my random sh- guess on Harrison Smith interceptions. My shot in the dark on Harrison Smith. I, I think these are funny because they're not like at all nearly as fun as the defense, right? Or I mean, as the, the offense, offense like, right. it's fun to be like, okay, is Justin Jefferson going to reach 1400 yards? I think he will, whatever you're like right now. We're asking is Harrison Smith going to have two and a half interceptions? Like that's two plays, three plays maybe throughout the year. I'm going to go ahead and say he doesn't. I'm just guessing he he's, he's, he had one last year and he's declined in his career. I, I could see also that the Vikings have been trying to kind of work in three safeties. I could see his playing time decreasing a little bit. I could see them sometimes going with Lewis scene and Cam Bynum, you know, as a two safety look or three safeties on the field, meaning less opportunities for Harrison Smith. He, he he's a ball hawk and he has been throughout his career. I just think like as time progresses, the ball doesn't always follow you like it used to two and a half. Like I said, just a guess, but I'll, I'll take the under on that. Yeah. It's, it's a number. Like it's a good number because you know, half of his years, it seems like he ends up at three. Right. Um, so like it's, it's generally in that ballpark. Um, if he plays 15 games, he's going to finish with like two or three. Um, so I'll take the under as well. Um, you know, just because a guy who is you know an aging player and, you know, like he's last year he had one. So I, and that's what we'll go without the indicator. Like I do think generally if the pass rush improves, it shouldn't be more interceptions for everyone um, because, you know, more pressured, hurried throws, more mistakes where frankly that none of that existed last year in Minnesota. Uh, it was kind of sit and wait and, and let the secondary get diced up. So that could be the only thing where maybe Minnesota's interception number jumps in general. Uh, but I'll take under for Harrison Smith as well. And, and the fact that Minnesota does have two young safeties, does mm-hmm. sort of play into that. All right, Sax. This one is at least more interesting. Yeah. Let's go with Daniil Hunter first. Over under 11 and a quarter sacks. I'm taking the over. He had six last year in seven games, and I think he had three against Arizona by himself. Dominated right? when, when he game. dominated Kyler Murray. So th- you're betting on health. That's all you're betting on right now at this point with Daniel Hunter. If he's healthy, if he plays, if he plays even three fourths of the games, I, I think he probably gets to to twelve to eleven and a half. I guess would be because you're the line is eleven point two five. So you, if he gets eleven and a half, you win. I think if he stays healthy, healthy, and I'm assuming like this injury luck, I maybe it turns at some point because the last two years it's definitely gone against him. If he can stay on the field, he's going to hit that number. I would say pretty easily. Um, I think there's games where he's going to look like he did against Arizona last year. Like pick a, pick a game on the matchup or on the schedule. And then there's probably a game that you can point to like Daniel Hunter is going to dominate this game. Or it, it just seems like every time he, every year he's been in the league, he's had a game or two per season where he just looks like the best player alive. Um, I think that still exists. I think that's still in him. Um, if he plays enough games, he's going to hit 11. 0.25 over easy. 
Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's just turning 28 in October. So aside from the injuries, like he's still theoretically, you know, in the prime of his career. Um, mm-hmm. And from 2016 to 2019, he cleared this number <clears throat> three times out of four. And that includes a 14 and a half sack season, uh, two 14 and a half sack seasons in 2018 and 2019. So I'm with you. Um, I think he probably has to play like 14 games uh, to clear this number. And, and maybe that's no sure thing given the last two years for him. But I'm not betting against a guy doing that. I do think even, you know, maybe coming from the stand-up position, we've seen guys thrive in that. We've seen their volumes of sacks increase and and having Zadarius Smith on the other side should help as well. So I think a, a few factors are working for Daniel Hunter to have a monster season and, and I would bet on him having that. And it doesn't even take a monster season, frankly, for him to clear this number. Totally. Similar number on the other side of the line of Zadarius <clears throat> Smith. Checking in at 10 and a quarter. Um, do you, mm-hmm. So the lines made the expectations a little bit lower, but still a double digit line here. Dane, are you going over for Smith as well? I think I'm going to go under on Smith. And I yeah. kind of went back and forth on this one. Like, because I went over on Hunter, I think that there's also just like kind of only a small, like a limited amount of sacks to go around. I, I'm not saying Hunt, I don't think if Hunter plays the whole season, I don't think he just barely hits the over. Like, I think he might be looking at 15, 16 sacks, you know? And, and inherently that takes away from Zadarius Smith's net sacks. I think he's going to be extremely effective. I think they're going to help out each other. I just think like double two guys getting double digit sacks when one of the guys like Daniel Hunter has, has such a high upside. It, it's going to take away from, from maybe Zadarius Smith's production from a sack standpoint. He's also only hit double digit sacks twice in his career. Right. Didn't soar um, over it either. Yeah. Right. I think it was, it was, yeah, here, I got it right here. 13 and a half with Green Bay and 19, 12 and a half with Green Bay and 20. It feels like like six the, of those were against Minnesota who doesn't get to play against <laughs> anymore. Right. So he's looked really dominant in practice, uh, but he's looked dominant in practice against like Darisaw. So Minnesota. Yeah. This guy was exactly. like Minnesota. So I, I just think like there's reason to believe that number can be lower than, than 10. And if it isn't, like if it isn't above ten, if he doesn't clear that number, it certainly does not mean he had a bad no. season. Like he he can be super effective without getting home for ten sacks, for eleven sacks. I think he's under, but I, I think if he stays healthy, I think those two are just going to be, you know, band aids that can fix a lot of the the Minnesota problems. It's one of those where for sure, if he played seventeen, I'd say yep, he'll get there. Um, I think if he plays 14, I'm sweating it really hard. And that's why I'm taking the under two. I thought maybe we'd be different on this one. But yeah, like, I mean, this he played 16 when he had 13 and a half and 16 when he had 12 and a half. And he's been a great pressure guy. You know, the sack numbers aren't astronomical, but also like, you know, this this month here before before that Green Bay game, he's going to turn 30. Not to say he slowed down at all. As you said, he's dominated camp. Um, but, you know, 10 and a quarter, like that is an some things have to go right number. Um, so I mm-hmm. guess if I was just putting my money down and I had to, I would go under because I think there are more outcomes where he doesn't get there than where he does. But I do think that's a really good line for Zadarius Smith anyway, because if everything goes right, he is going to beat it. If a couple things go wrong, it, it really comes into question. All right. This one is another kind of random one. <laughs> Eric Kendricks, 125 and a half total tackles, <laughs> solo and assist. Dane, break it down. And I want real analysis just, here. Uh, my real analysis, he was 143 last year combined tackles, and he and he didn't play very well. Like I think like a lot of people who can dig into Eric Kendrick's 
season last year, like would say he he wasn't at the top of his game, even though he had 143 tackles, right? So I think tackles are an overrated stat. Like it's just if the ball's there. A lot of times yeah. he was making those tackles because it was at the second level because the the run defense was so porous that he when was having def- to make these tackles. When this defense was better, he was and frankly, every other number in his career, he was floating around 110. And that can be with one less game, uh, you know, 16 versus 17 game schedule. But he sat at like 110 every other year of his career. Right. And then when the defense was good. Correct. Exactly. I think at its peak, Eric Hendricks should not have 143 tackles. Right. But he we think the yeah, defense it, might stink this year. So what do you think? Uh, I, I think he's under 125 and a half. I, I, I think he is. It, it just seems like like 143 was such an outlier in his, in his career too. And again, like a lot of that is because he's having to make a lot of these tackles, eight yards downfield, 11 yards downfield after the running back breaks loose, you know, through, through the porous line up front. But before this year, he was never above one, 113. And he, like you said, he's always sat in the 110 range. Um, so to just give him 15 more tackles than his average throughout the year, like, I guess it could hit, but I just think the smart money here would be to go under um, and just assume they're going to be a little bit improved pass rush. They're going to be a little bit improved with Harrison Phillips clogging the holes up front. And Jordan Hicks is going to be there as well. So you're not going to have Eric Kendricks just running around sideline to sideline, having to make up for all of his defensive warts. I feel like the 3-4 scheme might, might force more tackles for Kendricks this year, um, along with the fact that I don't think this defense is going to be very good again. So I'm going to take the over. I'm going to say Kendricks finishes around like 130. Right. Not confident in that at all. I don't know how confident you are <laughs> in yours, frankly, either. But um, that's where I'm going. It's fun to disagree, too. Like, it's fun to to look back on these and be like, all right, we, we, were, we were opposite on this. So I think we were opposite on all of Adam Thielen's. And we're opposite on <laughs> Eric Kendricks' tackles. <laughs> yeah, we had to be different in something. Okay, let's get into... Oh, a couple of quick ones. We won't dive too deep into these, but these are like future bets here. So we're looking at, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 to one bets where the Vikings are included in like league wide things. Most sacks in the NFL this year. Daniel Hunter is 20 to one to lead the NFL in sacks. Zadarius Smith is 30 to one to lead the NFL in sacks. Do you like either number? I like, I like Hunter's more than Smith's. Um, but no, I, I, I probably wouldn't bet either of these. TJ Watt led the league last year with 22 and a half sacks. Right. I, I, I just don't think Daniel Hunter is getting in the upwards of 20. You essentially need to, to record 20 sacks to lead the league, at least 20 sacks to lead the league in sacks. And I don't think he's there. I, I you know, I think he's, I think he's going to be really, really good if he stays on the field. I'm just not sure he's, he's getting to that number. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. There's a reason why it's 20 to one. It's a, it's a long shot for sure. Um, it's like picking a picking the OK team to win the Super Bowl comes out at like twenty to one. It's probably not going to happen. That's why Hunter's at that number. I do think okay, new scheme. Um, another guy on the other side who prevents all of the attention being put on you. Like that's his path to that number to like an 18, right. 19, 20 sack season. So it is possible. So that's why I think it'd be worthy of like a wager. But I don't see Zadarius Smith getting there. Defensive Player of the Year. These are mostly just interesting to throw out. Daniel Hunter, 30 to 1. Zadarius, Her- Zadarius Smith, 60 to 1. Eric Kendricks, 100 to 1. Harrison Smith, 250 to 1. And just thoughts on just the number, not whether you like it, but just like, do you understand the number for the guys? I understand the number because it's easier to be like, I think you have to have like moments at times to be a defensive player of the year. 
and like production obviously matters, but I think there's like narrative driven moments like, Oh man, this guy did it again. Like here he is. And I think like Hunter and Smith having the highest or the best odds makes sense because there might be a game where Hunter has three or four sacks and you're like, wow, like he is a defensive player of the year candidate. There could be a game where Zadarius Smith has two strip strip sacks and then, you know, maybe a fumble recovery. Like it's, it's easy to envision those things with these edge rushers. So it makes sense that their odds are better. Kendrick's like at a hundred to one. I don't know. I think you'd have to have like eight picks for me to even think of a linebacker as, as a defensive player of the year. And, and Harrison Smith at two fifty to, to one, that just seems like a lifetime achievement award. Like we'll just yeah. throw you on there because you're on the Vikings and you're old. Two fifty um, to one means you're not going to win it. Everybody knows you're not going to win it. So uh, they make sense to me. I like again, I wouldn't bet any of them, but like the way they're laid out, um, I, I can understand at least why they they're slotted in the way they are. Just just so people know, defensive rookie of the year odds: Andrew Booth Jr. at twenty five to one, Lewis Seen at thirty five to one. I want to finish with this though, Dane Harrison Smith. How much good football do you think he has left? I think two years, maybe. And like okay. good football doesn't mean like all pro level safety play anymore. I think good football means a serviceable player on the back end that can really help your guys get to the next level and your younger guys kind of reach a level from are they ready to play to they can take over when Harrison Smith leaves. The room right now, Cam Bynum and, and Lewis Seen very well could be the room that exists after Harrison Smith leaves. So I think Harrison Smith has two good years of being like a serviceable player in the league that you can be like, okay, he is still better than both of those guys. Um, but I think at the same time, you need him to be bringing those two guys along too to kind of have life after him. Two years of solid play left. He's still a good player. Um, so when, when we're taking what maybe sound like shots at Harrison Smith, we're not saying he's going to be a bad player this year. We're just saying he's not what he once was because what he once was, was one of the best players in the NFL on the defensive side of the ball. He's okay. no longer that. And that's okay. Okay. I lied. Uh, so Patrick Peterson, not on here. He used to always be on like a defensive player of the year list, like as an option. Do you think at this point in his career, he should still be a number one cornerback in the NFL? No, I do not. I think that is, is emblematic of the Vikings secondary struggles. I think Patrick Peterson is awesome for a room. And I think he'd be perfect in a, a number two role. I think asking him to be a, like a shutdown safety on one side of the ball is asking too much of him. It's a little unfair to him. I don't think he'd ever back down from the challenge, just talking to him. So I don't think he'd ever be like, well, I can't be a number one. I'm, I'm, I'm up there in age. I'm on the back end of my career. I'm on the back nine. Like, He's going to take that challenge, but I think you're putting yourself as a team and him as a player in, in a maybe no-win situation when you're saying, all right, Patrick Peterson, time to go defend Mike Evans today. Or, you know, all right, Patrick Peterson, like this was last year, but you got Devontae Adams, and, and like that's your assignment today. Like I think you put yourself and him in a, in a bad situation asking him to be the best corner on your team. Yeah, a lot of questions with this defense. Like we've said, like there are possibilities, there are paths um, where if everything felt just right, it could be a decent unit. But there are probably more paths to where it's a, a, a unit that is again dragging down this entire team. Um, and and I think that's kind of the thing where we're there are only like two or three known commodities. Um, that's you know 
that's a question mark heading into the season. And so as much as we want to talk about the offense, as much as we want to talk about what Kevin O'Connell can do on that side of the ball, as much as we want to talk about Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, this side's probably going to be much more emblematic of like their success <clears throat> is going to be emblematic of the team's success. They are going to mirror one another, frankly. Last year was one of the worst units in football. That's why this team missed the playoffs. We'll see what happens next time here as we get the season rolling. Um, all right, we three episodes away now. Uh, that's that's pretty insane uh, to the start of the regular season. I can't wait. Dane can't wait. Hopefully you can't wait. Um, catch everything. Catch all of our preview action. We're going to preview the pre the Green Bay game next week. We're going to get into what looks like success for Minnesota. Um, what should be considered successful for Kirk Cousins, Kevin O'Connell in year one, the, the team. Like, How should we be gauging this franchise and, and what it should look like this year and then how that should determine how it looks moving forward. We're going to have a special guest on this weekend's podcast um, that, that we'll wait to unveil, I guess. So a lot coming in. If you want to make sure you're catching all of it, if you want to hear all of it, um, subscribe, follow, make sure that everything is coming up on your podcast platform, going right to your phone so it's ready to listen on demand. Uh, for Dane Mizutani, Chase Frederick, this has been Inside Purple and Gold. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company.